Hello and welcome to the AFPT Comics Podcast, episode 234. 234. Wow. Look at that. That's the on-time thing. Yeah, look at it. It's counting itself at this point, folks. It really is. It really is. My name is David Brooke. I'm here with David Simmons. We are here to talk comics, Hi. interview guests, yeah. review comics, talk about next week too, recap the news. There's mm-hmm. so many things in this show. My mm-hmm. God, my God. So much. <laughs> How you doing, Nathan? So much. I'm good, man. Uh, it's a, it's a, an extremely warm mm. summer morning yes, yes. here in Florida, but I'm I'm doing all right. I think uh, think I'm ready to talk some comics. I'm a little relieved after a couple of weeks of just heavy news. You know, a lot of San Diego stuff, <laughs> yeah. solicits coming out. Um, we just got a short and sweet news segment, but that doesn't mean that we don't still have some fun stuff to talk about this week. Oh, yeah. A lot of industry news this week. Uh, in, in fact, we kind of get into some industry news with uh, Ethan Parker, Bob Quinn, and Griffin Sheridan to talk Kill Your Darlings yeah. later in the show. If you hang on to that interview, it's a really good chat. Uh, Ethan and Griffin are, this is their first comic. Bob, of course, has been drawing comics for quite a few years now. And it's yeah. interesting to kind of dig into their process, what we're in store for with Kill Your Darlings, which comes out September 6th. And uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a fresh kind of take, especially for the show when we you know tend to have mm-hmm. a lot of creators that have been doing this for decades uh, come on and talk about their creative process. So yeah, that's later in the show though. And, and a really great first issue mm. for Kill Your Darlings. Yeah. I, I really, really dig where it's going so far. It's, got, it's great at building a mood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob gets to play with so many different kinds of illustrations and mediums uh, in, in this first issue, and uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm stoked for people to check this. Hereditary out. meets Narnia. We, we we unpack that a little bit. It's such an <laughs> accurate descriptor, too, for sure. It's, really, it's a really fascinating. I mean, this really. I mean, sometimes when you hear these comparisons, it's like ah, Hollywood pitch, right? Uh-huh. Like ah, it's Wizard of Oz meets Terminator. <laughs> but uh, in this case, sure. uh, oh well, I'd read that. I know, right? Jeez, I should I should become a screenwriter. Uh, no, but yeah, it's a really good combo, and it's a really good first issue. We got to read it early. Um, but before yeah. the interview, we're going to recap the biggest news of the week. And oh my God, there's so much industry yeah. news. Uh, starting with Image Comics and Simon & Schuster signing an exclusive North American distribution deal. Uh, they announced this later mm-hmm. in the week. And so now this means Image is 100% away from Diamond. Diamond, of course, was the, pub, uh, the company that would uh, distribute comic books uh, primarily for every publisher before the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but right. since the pandemic, and uh, some might say they kind of dropped the ball a little bit here and there as far as not oh, yeah. shipping, um, a lot of publishers... Not shipping away. or shipping things uh, damaged. <laughs> right. Like there, were, there, were a lot of, there were a lot of quality control issues as well. Mm-hmm. And I know comics shops prefer Diamond in part mm-hmm. as they have traditionally because you, you can t- put your order in for every book, every publisher with one form, but now, right. uh, the image is now using Lunar for their single issue comic distribution, and now with this new news, they're using Simon and Schuster for their graphic novels and hardcovers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, it's a t- kind of a, another tectonic shift away from Diamond. It seems like Diamond, you know, their viability is kind of in question at this point since most publishers aren't using them anymore. Right, and you know, and uh, Simon and Schuster, of course, will get image books, uh, even more image books into you know big chain bookstores as well. But that's not just limited to that. You know, uh, brick and mortar shops and smaller bookstores, mom and pop shops, right. can order from them as well. And um, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to see. Uh, it, it, you know, we we almost expected like a a quicker shift, mm. right? Like a larger mm-hmm. industry wide shift. But it seems like folks are sort of 
maybe letting certain contracts run out before they make their next moves. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Contracts are signed and they have to kind of live them out. Um, this totally. will start in January. So I, I, I am kind of interested to see what Diamond does. It's not like Diamond sends out press releases to say what they're up to. Right. But it is a mom and pop shop. It's it's existed for so long and I could mm-hmm. see it potentially folding, but we'll see. Well, and also what I think is interesting is, uh, you know, Eric Stevenson at uh, Image Comics made this really great point where he said like we're we're sort of now we have officially been around long enough that we have a robust back catalog Uh, uh right like you know so like image comics compared to dc or marvel you know they're really a a sort of more of a drop in the bucket in terms of longevity Mm -hmm. and so they now now they are at a point where they're like yeah we really should diversify how we're putting out all of our hardcover collections and all of our mm. omnibus editions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, it's really interesting, but also sort of a rite of passage <laughs> for image. Yeah. I mean, with series like humongously uh, successful series like saga coming out, y- you know, oh, yeah. they've got new box sets coming out here and there. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure Simon and Schuster is going to want to do a new saga, massive omnibus or something. A book that is very hard to keep on the shelf. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, or with the walking dead, for instance. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. Now that they have this huge backlog, uh, like DC and Marvel, who <laughs> have decades upon decades of epic collections, right? Uh, it makes sense to to move forward with a, a giant company like Simon and Schuster. I mean, DC's been around long enough that they have you know reissues of reissues and yeah. different collections of different storylines, and and so yeah, I think Image is yeah seeing seeing the the use in teaming with a a company like Simon and Schuster it's interesting too like marvel they they they've been re-releasing their the first runs of a lot of series like captain america or spider-man yeah penguin yeah. put out these like gold foil um or gold gilded i should say collections mm-hmm. tish came out with their own spider-man extra size of course and ridiculous that's right but, like those are there's so, so many different ways, especially with Marvel. There's so many different ways to read these books now because there's like so many of these re- reissues and new sure. collections. I, I was at I was at Target the other day and saw one of those little like the little digest uh. size Jack Kirby Captain America collections where they've got them sort of almost in like a uh, mass market paperback size. Right, right, right. It's so it's so fascinating. It must be selling well if they can continue to resell the old stuff. Right. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of selling, Dark Horse has announced retailer-specific Usagi Yojimbo Ice and Snow number one variant covers. Yeah. Oh, these are so pretty. This is so wild to me. So there are two covers that every comic shop can get. It's the Stan Sakai Mm -hmm. main cover, of course, and then there's a Scotty Young. Actually, there's three covers. And there's a Scotty Young cover, and then there's a Paolo Rivera cover. But Mm -hmm. there are more covers on top of that. David Mack has done a cover, but you can only get it from a store called Things from Another World in California and, and two locations in Oregon. I wonder if it'll be on their website as well. Maybe it's just the brick and mortar location. It's a good question. They now the press release did send the website links, so that makes me okay. think maybe you could order. Maybe you could order it. But yeah. uh, some of these covers you can only get at very specific locations, uh, which is so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, a, an interesting idea makes me think. You know, obviously Stan Sakai is mm-hmm. you know a legend and been making comics for so long. This has to be a kind of thank you to comic shops to give them this unique opportunity to have a variant cover. Totally. And they're all great. Well, and also, 
they're all great and they're all very they're varied mm-hmm. right like i love this this uh, sort of hyper realistic dave dorman cover is gorgeous dave dorman of course did you know a t- has done a ton of star wars stuff mm-hmm. he worked on he did rom he had he had a series of really great archie variant oh, covers nice. Um, I, I I love his work, and I was just so excited to see his name on this list. This I the David Mack cover, <laughs> the the rabbit is legit a real rabbit. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I mean, it is it is it is just shy of one of his Daredevil yes, covers, right? right, right. Like it rules. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. <laughs> um, I, I'm hoping these sell really well. It is. I, I, it'd be fascinating. To, we yeah. may never know, but it would be fascinating to know like how how much this increases sales for comic shops. Yeah, totally. Now, also, comic shops are getting a freaking free comic book from Vault Comics. They are giving away <laughs> Unnatural Order number one. Uh, it's a new fantasy series um, that's coming out by, by Christopher Yost and Val Rodriguez. They are giving away packs of 25 to comics retailers, and they can do whatever they want with it. Vault's not saying they have to sell it. <laughs> they can literally give it away, or they could sell it at discount, or they could sell it at the SRP, which is $4.99 per issue. But... That's so interesting. Not, they yeah. must have a lot of faith in this series, right? To give away mm-hmm. the... Usually the first issue is the highest selling book in comics. To just give away the right. first issue, they must have a lot of faith this book rocks and will have people coming back for issue two, three, four, five, whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if this has ever been done before. I'm not a historian as far as like giveaways like this, but old move yeah. cotton. Well, I mean, it is. It's bold. I mean, even in the uh, press release, uh, Christopher Yost says like, I haven't had a comic in stores in a while, and then the gang at Vault ran an idea by me. <laughs> what if we gave away the first issue to retailers for free? I laughed at the obvious joke because certainly our corporate overlords <laughs> wouldn't allow that. Um, right. So yeah, it is. It's a big swing, but it, it everyone is like very excited. Mm-hmm. Like they want to, they are so excited about this book that they want to make news by giving this thing away. Right. Right. Yeah, so um, it comes out in October. I don't see a specific release date yet, but mm-hmm. it's a really good reason to go to the comic shop that week. Absolutely. Marvel has also detailed new uh, new story uh, and new series re- relaunch for Alien starting November 15th. Declan Shelby yeah. and Andrea Brocard- Brocardo are, uh, are, are reteaming again for another story arc on Alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting that this is, what, the third, fourth time Alien has had a new number one at Marvel Comics? <laughs> I, in, in like two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I, I was kind of surprised by that as well, especially because uh, Declan's talking about tying it back into earlier stories that, that, that he wrote. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious to see why this would have to be a, a relaunch. Mm. Um, I mean, both Alien and Predator have had multiple number ones in just like the last couple of years. Right. And I, I've talked about this before. It's a little bit of a, uh, a pet peeve for me. Uh, I always think it's so weird, but I, I know it's a marketing move and, yeah. and it's, you know, it's, it's meant to get people excited for a new uh, era or a new launch, a uh, new, new arc. But yeah, I I'm curious to see how this thing really leaves a stamp that marks it as a number one. Yeah, this one's going to have two time periods. Shalvi will be drawing these flashback stories um, mm-hmm. on top of... The, Love that idea. Yeah, and I, it's interesting. There's so there's two concurrent stories going. It sounds a lot more complex than what we what he just he's just wrapping up now with Alien number five mm-hmm. next month. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I know I know how excited I was when Alien and Predator were going to be picked up by Marvel. In part because yeah. Dark Horse had 
sort of stopped making uh, Alien comics at the time. Right, right. And uh, the naysayer me, I don't know if it's naysayer, but part of my brain is like, can we get a really, really good master, Jonathan Hickman master plan, Hox and Pox, Alien, Universe yeah, started. It does feel like it does feel kind of piecemeal, right? Like mm. I've I've really enjoyed Declan's uh, Alien stories, but like I, there there is a part of me that's just sort of like, yeah, why are we doing this sort of like in little bursts instead yeah. of just like telling me, okay, here's here's the story, we're gonna follow mm-hmm. this story. Um, I mean, I guess that's that was sort of the the Dark Horse uh, template as well, right? Like we do a, a bunch of different mini series, rotating creative teams, rotating characters, uh, right. elsewhere in the galaxy being menaced by the Xenomorphs. But yeah, I don't know. I it's it's just uh, it's it's odd. It's an odd uh, odd way to approach it from Marvel. I think Phil Kennedy Johnson when he started, it felt like maybe they were starting something. And it, yeah. there was like some kind of hint maybe it was going to connect to the FX show that has yet to come out. I don't even know if it's been filmed right. yet. Right. I wonder if that's part of it as well. Yeah. yeah. So maybe like plans shifted and now we're just sort of well, doing Fede, Fede Alvarez is doing a new Alien movie as well, right? Isn't oh, he the, that's the, right. Yeah. The Evil Dead remake director. Mm-hmm. It, the, those rights are always sort of weirdly <laughs> in flux. I know. It's um, crazy. Um, also crazy, we talked a little bit about this a few oh. weeks ago, I think, but Daredevil Black Armor is getting uh, That's right. got a little more details about it. It's coming out in November. It's a uh. miniseries written by D.G. Chichester. And they've got this new cover by the God of War art director, Raphael Corsetti, that's insane. Yeah. It makes the costume yeah. look so cool. Anybody who hates this costume, look at this cover and you'll be like, oh no, it's pretty It's pretty sweet. But then I think, uh, yeah, it, it is, It's I liked this costume uh, when yeah. I was a kid. I, I've never really had a problem with it. I do think it's probably harder to do ninja moves in it. But, <laughs> it's a lot uh, of rubber, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of rubber and a lot, like those shoulders have got to be so heavy. Yeah, you're right. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty dope. And I've liked these miniseries that, like, revisit an earlier era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they're they a fun way for, you know, especially older fans who grew up with that story to revisit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in uh, Chichester was talking about how uh, I hope fans of my Fall from Grace and Fall of the <laughs> Kingpin stories find more to enjoy in my take on hypersenses and heightened action. And I think this is the first time we've heard that he'll be going up against villains like Hobgoblin and Sabretooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty good lineup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're already seeing... We're in a heyday for Hobgoblin right now, <laughs> man. Like, uh, Miles is fighting him right now. Hobby fans unite. It is our time. We are in the light. Hobby hive, rise up. Uh, he needs a solo book. I, but then which Hobgoblin will they go does. with? Or maybe they go with all of them. I, I don't know. know. All, yeah, all of them. They all just, just switching out. Yeah, exactly. They all it, Tag team Hobgoblin. Yeah, they have one apartment. It's only got one bed, so they all have to, like, the, the craziness of dating. and. <laughs> now that's a show. I know, right? What would be their day job? Uh, Uber driver? <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. Uber Goblin. In our last bit of news, Top Secret Service was announced. It's a new graphic novel from Dark Horse. Yeah. Coming out January... It's really cool to see Dark Horse putting out these original graphic novels. They pretty much put out one or mm-hmm. two a month for the last year or two now. Uh, clearly, the book market is kind of dictating this shift away from more single issues mm-hmm. and doing more of these graphic novels. Just, uh, But uh, yeah, this sounds really cool. Um, it involves yeah, the US it's a... Secret Service agents. You don't see a lot of stories about yeah. that. Yeah, they're they're watching over an ex president uh, who was actually involved in a government conspiracy covering up the existence of aliens. 
Uh, so that's all kinds of stuff that I like. Sounds like the news last week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because they had that press briefing where the guy was like, what did he say? Uh, people, I've, people say they've we, seen alien bodies. He said something about, like, we've retrieved biological matter from, from spacecrafts. I don't know why, but my mind just went to feces for some reason when he said that. I was like, what? Fe- feces? That's right. Feces. Okay. I thought you said, <laughs> for a second, I thought you said species. And I, like, that's the only alien movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's, there's, more than, there's more than that? I only like sexy uh, aliens myself. Of course, of uh, course. Top Secret is being called 21 Jump Street meets Men in Black. That's uh, interesting. Which is funny because there almost was a 21 yeah. Jump Street and Men in Black crossover movie. So uh, let's see what, how this works out. Jonah Hill I shows up. I, I'm so here for this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on to our next subject, top books of the week. We're going to talk about our top two favorite comics out this week. That doesn't mean these are the only books we liked. But, of course. you know, we it's really hard. Every week, I am just, like, slaving away, sweating, jotting down well, yeah. notes on every book, and I'm like, what is my second favorite book? I don't know. I don't know! But this I week, I do read. <laughs> what is your second favorite book of the week? I, I really loved Astonishing Iceman number one yeah. uh, by Steve Orlando and Lon Medina. This was really fun, and it uh, answered a lot of my, uh, pretty much all of my mm. questions about how this book was going to work. I love that we didn't like sort of piecemeal out the mystery of how Bobby is still out and about after the Hellfire Gala. Right. Um, on top of that, we open with a really great action sequence. Uh, Bobby, Bobby gets to kiss somebody after a rescue. It's just great heroic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, we're dealing with this, uh, this sort of tragic love story between Bobby and Romeo, where basically, you know, they're, they're literally and figuratively holding each other together. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I love, I mean, X-Men has always been an incredible source of, of, of metaphor and uh, for the human condition and, and for, uh, marginalized communities and seeing seeing mutants literally say things like "we're still here" is mm. like heart like like really yeah. grabbed me by the heart and I I just absolutely I, I loved this first issue it's a blast and it sets up I mean there's there's all this emotional and great character work but also we're we're setting up like comic book as hell villains like the elements of doom and helium the unfreezable man and like i i'm I, I love how i love how steve like balances mm-hmm. those those uh elements totally yeah and the concept too like the 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 orcus is attacking people that once took a drug to get mutant powers right so they're still yeah they're not on it anymore but yet they're still a target that's an interesting metaphor right. there too right like they don't just stop right. with you know they're not yeah. going to stop with mutants. First it's yeah. mutants, then it's semi-mutants, then it'll be inhumans, and then Which what? is legit yeah. what politicians who are after people do in fascist countries. Right. right? I mean, that's that's things we've been talking about this year, mm-hmm. right? Like first first they first they come for Roe v. Wade, then what? You know, for you know, I, I, yeah. I love Yeah. It's uh, it's very it's very smart. It's very it makes you angry for the characters and then for just the state of things and uh it's just, it's a really well-written superhero book. Plus, it's well. sexy. It is sexy. I mean, we should have more it sexy totally in superhero comics, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> I love that the guy's like, Bobby's a babe. oh, I, I took that thing for powers and sex. <laughs> and sex, right. Oh, I gotta say, also, one of my favorite little details is Bobby kisses this guy, yeah. and then, like, 
that you can see his breath immediately oh, after. Oh, yes. I'm just like, that, that yeah, rules. That was I think that's that so That was a nice great. touch. I noticed that too. Very cool. Uh, my second favorite book of the week was Night Terror's Joker Number 2 by Matthew Rosenberg and Stefano Raffaele. Um, God, this book is exercised and just so much mm-hmm. happens. It, and and it's the end yeah. of the two-parter story too. So you get the conclusion, but you also get a ton of mm-hmm. different twists and turns. Uh, Batman has returned after dying stupidly in a purposely hilarious way <laughs> in the first issue, which I believe was your Kapow moment of the week a couple weeks it ago. It was yes. And uh, seeing Joker have a wife and a kid, and he himself <laughs> is like, "What the hell is going on here?" He's murdering people and at work, and his like superior is just like, it's all right, man. Let's just, you know, whatever. And it, we love that you say what you think. Yeah, yeah. it's like. Yeah. It, what's interesting to me was like, it, there's a complexity here where where is the nightmare for Joker, right? Like, how, and what is Joker's nightmare? Which has been a fun thing with this event. Right. Uh-huh. And to me, after reading this issue, it feels like the nightmare is. Joker does insane shit and gets no response. He gets the, an opposite response of what he wants, which is screaming, scare, fear, etc. Instead, people are like putting their arm around him and going, hey man, it's okay if you kill the umpire, whatever. And like, that's the nightmare. So it's interesting to be in his head and be like, oh my God, the scary part is that he's not eliciting a reaction from people. On top of the psychology of some of the stuff that's happening, there's mm-hmm. a great dinner scene with Bruce Wayne that... There's like a visual gag that works so well with the super long table. Uh, not to mention <laughs> yes. Bruce is wearing the costume that Joker wore when he shot Babs in the spine. So there's a reference right. there. There's like there's like these layers to it. It's an onion that I loved unpacking. And but then yeah. also wouldn't the Joker? I mean, what would the Joker's worst nightmare be other than nobody getting the joke? Right. Like no right. one laughing. No one reacting. Right. Right. Yeah. It's so smart. And then on top of that, he gets to be uh, Batman. So there's some really cool visuals there, too. There's a great page. It's a full-page splash of of the Batman Joker on a um, gargoyle. And the captions uh, Rosenberg writes, it's just so, like, Frank Miller, you know, brooding Batman. But it's Joker saying it. And it's just like, oh, my God. This is just clearly, like, an homage and an ode to other eras of, of Joker and Batman. And I think it worked really well. And then really nicely punctuated with Joker's uh, spoken dialogue, which is a joke about trying to write off batterings uh, on his taxes or something <laughs> right, like that. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. He's interviewing villains for the job. It's, oh, my God. Oh, so the, that Mr. Freeze scene is oh, so funny. And then Scarecrow comes in and like no one's acting like it's weird that this dude is in a crazy Scarecrow costume. <laughs> <laughs> his claws. He has claws. What are we I doing? Yeah. They could have done a whole story, like a six, 12 issue story arc of mm-hmm. this and I would have enjoyed every issue of it absolutely but more importantly what is your favorite book of the week man my favorite book of the week was also a story that i think could have been made into a 12 issue Mm. miniseries but is so Mm -hmm. smartly constructed uh from a narrative standpoint i went with dr strange number six uh by jed mckay jonathan hickman and juan gideon uh, this tells the story of a war that Doctor Strange fought for 5,000 years Damn. that uh, he doesn't remember fighting. Mm-hmm. And we we each, every couple of pages, first we jump forward 50 years, then we jump forward 300 years, then 1,000 years. And he has been, uh, he, the, the, the Vishanti have like um, paused his aging so that he can lead these armies in this unending war and it it, how was it how would it fundamentally change him to 
keep you know being hacked to pieces, seeing his friends die around right. him, and never get any closer to victory. Uh, would in, in a very Doctor Who esque uh, sequence, he laments the fact that he can no longer call himself a doctor because of the things he's done. Huh. Uh, it's uh, it's really fantastic, and there's a really fun page by Jonathan Hickman uh, tying into gods and and showing that these characters have kind of always been around mm, in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, it sets up a really interesting dynamic for Doctor Strange going forward and possibly a new enemy that's closer to him than any has ever been. Uh, yeah, I man, this this issue did not disappoint. I loved nice. it. It's interesting reading those God one-pagers, one um, uh-huh. in part because I don't feel like Marvel has promoted it enough. It just right, kind of started, and they're not really promoting the fact that each, each comic that has one of these one-pagers, it's a different one-pager. Yeah. Detailing. They're also all very, like, snarky, but, like, ominous at the yeah. same time, which I it's, enjoy. It feels a little grounded, and yet it's also this epic, something's happening kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Nice pick, man. Thanks, man. What did you I pick? I like the Sandman Universe Thassily number one by James Tynan IV uh-huh. and Maria Lovett. Um, it's a one-shot, and it still kind of does require you to know some of these characters, especially Thassily, who's mm-hmm. appeared a couple times in recent comics, but also she's, of course, from Neil Gaiman's run as well. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, if you've listened to this podcast for a little while, you know I like stories within stories, and this story uh, has these incredible prose pages. Uh, I think they're designed by Anne World uh, Design, the letterer company mm-hmm. person. And uh, we get, like, a, a different look at Thassily, this witch, and also, while cutting away back to uh, our main character, who is this, like, screenplay reader, or, I don't know, she works at a Hollywood firm where they're just kind of churning out scripts. Uh-huh. And Thassily owes them a script. <laughs> And she realizes that this person coming around in Hollywood itself, this giant engine of storytelling, coming around going, where's our story, could be a problem for her. So a lot of this issue is about her getting that thing written so that they can get off her back. Meanwhile, this main character, she has a girlfriend, or she thinks she kind of has a girlfriend, but the person doesn't want to commit to her. She lives this life where she sleeps with her boss and doesn't really feel great about it, but she just wants to be seen. And... She makes a deal with Thassily to basically, in a sense, be seen, in a sense. And so there's this interesting layer of purpose and meaning and storytelling. And it all kind of dovetails in at the end into this larger, you know, you know not controversy, but like journey of Thassily and Sandman and these gods. And what is Thassily going to do next when the story, this issue ends? So there's a lot mm-hmm. of thematic uh elements about storytelling in different ways too. Actually, that's something I should point out. The prose sections, one is like Victorian era, uh, like Chaucer style uh, page design. Another is a screenshot of a screenplay software that's open and it's in screenplay style. Uh, So there's, it's sort of like this celebration of storytelling in a sense uh, over the, you know, centuries of humans telling stories. And of course it, thematically works with Thassily, who is centuries and centuries old, too. So, yeah. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I have not I've not gotten around to reading this one yet. I'm, I'm a little behind on all things The Dreaming. Yeah. So. Tynan is, yeah. man, he's just, he, he's picked up the baton from Neil Gaiman and just run with it. And it, it I, I think we've said this on the show before, but these books feel like they were printed under Vertigo. If totally. You, if you oh, grew absolutely. up with those comics or ever read them, like, yeah, it's it's really cool to see and 
see that it's kind of still living on in its own way. But that's it for Top Books of the Week. In our next segment, Standout. Kapow! Of the Week. What is this? <laughs> what? Our favorite panel little page. <laughs> Could there be such a thing? I don't know, but we'll find out. I want to be that guy from uh, Princess Bride mm. where he has the machine that tortures you. And he's <laughs> sure. taking notes on how much pain he can inflict. I just took seven the, years the, from your life. The six-fingered man. Mm-hmm. So good. Or the what is it? The ele- what is isn't that what he what what is he I called? Think he's six I've seen it before. Man. I think it's, it's six fingers. I'm gonna look it up. Six. Well, fingered. what's the the Spaniard swordsman? Yeah, the six fingered man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Count Rugen. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I just uh, I remember watching uh, Waiting for Guffman for the first time, mm. and being like, "Holy shit, that's the six fingered man." <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I love Christopher Guest. Um... So what is this? Our favorite panel or page? I know. It's crazy, <laughs> <That's> right? right. <laughs> uh, my favorite. I, I love. Oh, go ahead. We'll, let's go together at the same time. We'll just say it at the same time. Okay. People will piece together. No, no. Just so kidding. anyway, I really. <laughs> 55 burgers, 55 fries. Oh, God. 55 tater tots. Um... <laughs> One of them is really weird. We're talking about a, skitch, a show of skits. Um, mm. I think you should leave. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I really like the page from X-Men number 25 by Jerry Dugan and Stefano Casali. Yeah. Uh, this Issue is largely about Kate Pride, Shadowcat, uh, leaning yeah. into her ninja super dangerous phase, I suppose you could say. Um, <laughs> there, it, it, there's a sequence in the, near the end of the issue where she fights a bunch of dudes and pretty much confirms she probably is the most dangerous mutant as far as like hand-to-hand combat is concerned. She can mm-hmm. literally phase you into someone else. She could phase something into your brain and just kill you instantly. Yeah. Can't be shot by bullets. Anyway, the page I picked out, she uh, it starts with her standing there, still surrounded, but there's two people merged into each other because she's using her shadow power. <laughs> yeah. Kicks a dude in the nuts, flips him over her head, and then phases him into the freaking building. Like, yeah. what happens to the body once it phases into the building? It must, like, create an explosion, right? Wouldn't it, like, new matter would enter the <laughs> building? Anyway. She's crazy dangerous. Comics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The thing that I really love about this page is, well, the, the, the narration tells us that she's using fighting skills that she learned from Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, that top panel, she's fully in a Wolverine stance. Like all you have to do <laughs> is add claws coming out of her arm. Oh, good her, eye. Her, her, her hands. I didn't notice yeah, that. That's it's funny. Just, it's really, I love it. I love it so much. Pretty badass. What is your favorite? Great choice. Uh, moment. I went with something silly oh, that I really liked <laughs> in uh, in Night Terror's oh, no. Batman number two by Josh Williamson, Guillaume March, and uh, Trevor Harrison. Um, this scene is fantastic. Batman is uh, trying to get into his you know his memory palace basically so he can escape his nightmares, um, and he lands. He flies through the air and then lands in a superhero landing. Mm-hmm. Uh, on his own brain, and the <laughs> the sound effect is bat boom, <laughs> which makes him smile. Like he laughs at his oh, own man. brain, and it. It, I just I really it really made oh me my laugh. God. I love. Is it. Batman that friend in your group that says a joke and la- he's the only one who's laughing at his own joke? You mean me? <laughs> is you Batman, are Batman me? You yes, are Batman. that is great. Oh, I want to I want to hear that in real life, just like. You know, not like on purpose. It just happens. Bat boom, bat boom, bat boom. 
Yeah, it's it just man, that made my day when I read That's it. Awesome. <laughs> Very nice pick. Yeah, I love the way the cape looks hey. too in that panel. Really cool. Oh yeah. This now whole we... book looks fantastic. Very nice. I mean I'm not even we're not even getting into him fighting a, a, a bat with a gun coming out of its head. <laughs> Quite something. I love Moving it. on to our top books for next week, we're gonna talk about our most anticipated mm-hmm. comics and why you must read it, even though we haven't read it yet. But we think you should. Uh, I think you should pick up Immortal X-Men number 14 by Kieran Gillen and Lucas Warneck. This is because Xavier's had a really bad party at the Hellfire Gala. And (laughs) Rogue has dropped him off on some island. I don't remember if it was Krakoa or not. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's alone. On the beach. For all he knows, almost every mutant is now dead. They went from millions to something like ten. And now he has to sit and stew in his own thoughts of... The Krakoa, the utopia that he created, this dream, is gone. It's done now. It And yeah. what is Xavier going to do? In the preview pages that we've seen, he's clearly a wreck um, mentally and spiritually, emotionally. So I'm really curious mm-hmm. to see what Gillen does with Xavier, who has been the centerpiece of this dream that is now dashed. Mm-hmm. His job is just beach now. <laughs> I saw that. I saw someone already <laughs> meme that. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god. It is the summer of Barbie. It is, it is. Um, no, that's a great pick. I'm I'm really looking forward to that one, but I'm also looking forward to something that I think promises to be just very fun. Yeah. Uh I'm really looking forward to Ghost Rider, Wolverine, Weapons of Vengeance number one by Benjamin Percy and Jeff Shaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, it, just because it it really like remind. I'm sorry, Weapons of Vengeance Alpha. Rather. Oh, uh, it's the it's the beginning uh-huh. of a, of a mini event. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. This is just bringing back uh, very fond memories of the Midnight Suns era of Ghost Rider when these two guys were teaming up all the time. Uh, just very exciting to see a flashback to their first meeting as as uh, envisioned by Benjamin Percy and. Uh, them hunting down a demonic serial killer who's hunting mutants. Uh, a weird time to do that, considering there's not that many mutants left. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I think this was also originally solicited a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure. But uh, anyway, for fun, for a fun uh, supernatural crime story with these two uh, exceedingly violent characters, <laughs> I think it's going to be a good time. Yeah, there's a cover of like Wolverine and Ghost Rider melded and like the adamantium of his yeah. skull is like look is like visible. It's crazy. It's really considering cool. where Wolverine just ended, where he's trying to hunt down the remaining Wolverine clones that Beast made. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that'll tie in somehow, but it's too early to say. We'll see. Uh, moving on to judging by the cover, Junior. This is. <laughs> we went with like, <laughs> like a boat horn or something on that one. <laughs> we should do a sh- a shanty. I know that the sea shanty songs aren't a thing anymore. Like no one cares. But yeah. I I like to do things. That's late. why we should do it. Yeah. Now. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good time to be Great alive idea. though. Everyone was just happy. It was listening to it shanties. Was. Anyway, what is your? F- what do you do with a drunken sailor? favorite um, cover? I out next week. Yeah. My favorite cover next week uh, has got to be. <laughs> The front cover, the front cover. Yes. <laughs> wow, I am tired. The front cover for Godzilla, mm-hmm. Here There Be Dragons, number two, by Inaki Miranda. I, I think I went with the cover for issue one last month you as did. well. Uh, these are just dope because this is Godzilla versus Pirates, <laughs> y'all. And uh, mm. this issue, this cover is mostly Godzilla's face. Yeah. 
busting up through a pirate ship mm-hmm. and firing its atomic mm-hmm. breath. And I just love the, 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 the chaos in this yeah. image, the, the flames licking at the backs of the pirates, the one guy who's just toppled from the crow's nest mm-hmm. and looks like he's heading straight for Godzilla's mm-hmm. mouth. Uh, there's just so much movement uh, and energy in this cover, and the use of color mm, is unbelievable. Very bright, yeah, really interesting looking. Absolutely. Well, how would you feel if you find out in story this is just Godzilla burping? Would that change? I'd be f- <laughs> no, I actually like I like that. <laughs> I actually prefer that. Um, I, I got to tell you though, I uh, the reason I picked uh-huh. this one is because you had already picked my favorite Ooh, cover art for next. No, no slam it. on this this page, which oh, is amazing. Yeah. But like, man, I I absolutely love the one that you picked. Yeah, as Immortal well. X Men number fourteen by Mark Brooks. Mark Brooks, of course, he's up there with Alex Ross. He does not miss when it comes to cover art. Uh, and one hundred percent. This cover, of course, uh, we were just talking about this issue. Uh, Xavier is on an island, a uh, deserted island. His helmet is off. He mm-hmm. is, seems to be standing, turning, and seeing. They blew it up. You bastards, you I blew guess. it up. <laughs> Big Planet of the Apes energy, right? Yeah, there's a sentinel, um, uh, the, at least the top torso, uh, stuck in the sand. It's, it almost looks like it's trying to reach out to get him, but then you look a yeah. little longer and you see that there's like uh, swamp guts or whatever, I don't know, stuff on it. It's like it's been sitting there for a while, uh, but it is very much like an homage to Planet of the Apes, I think. And yet, you know, with Orcus on the rise and Sentinels now flying around, it's interesting that he's on a pl- uh, this island where there is clearly a classic-looking Sentinel. Uh, so there's a story mm-hmm. element here where I'm like, huh, what is that? Is he going to get into the Sentinel and, like, power it up? Or will he weaponize a Sentinel against Orcus and the, you know, the, the greatest enemy they face right now? It's interesting. But yeah, the, the lighting, too, is really cool. There's like clearly, like, a sunset vibe going on. The way the water kind of brushes up on the beach. Oh, and if you go to aptcoms.com, go to this podcast post, you can see this art in full. Uh, and yeah. even like the um, the plants running along the canyon wall there are kind of interesting. It's just a lot to take in. Yeah. It's really pretty. I love the the exposed like inner cogs and workings of the the sentinel. It looks like almost like muscle tissue. Mm, yeah, like flesh. Yeah, that's, that's great. Really cool. That Mark Brooks guy. I think he's got a career ahead of him. I think he's got it. <laughs> By George. And now in our final segment, join us as Ethan Parker, Bob Quinn, and Griffin Sheridan uh, talk all about Kill Your Darlings. It's a great combo. Enjoy. Thank you guys so much for joining the AFPT Comics Podcast. Thank Happy you to be here. Thanks our so much pleasure. for having yeah. yeah. What's the roll call here? Bob, you're familiar with AFPT. We've interviewed a few times for X-Men Monday and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I've Yeah, that, that was... Pretty much my connection to AIPT. <laughs> they were like, hey, you drew some X Men. And I was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> and then Ethan Parker. Yeah, me and Griffin, uh, we, yeah, we were known a little bit around the internet for, yeah, running yeah. the KLC Press Substack, the Jinx World Substack. And uh, for Matthew Rosenberg's podcast, Ideas Don't Bleed. Um, yeah, we do a lot of work with Stegman and Cates and Bendis and Rosenberg. Um, and yeah, we've never been on the show before, but we're big fans and we're, uh, oh, really appreciate it. I've watched a couple of the live streams and stuff. I'm a KLC, uh, Substack member and, uh, you guys are really professional Excellent. and uh, I love your vibe. Hey. Oh, Thank appreciate you so it. Much, Thanks man. so much. Yeah, I can tell if, you from my from being on the emails that they are not professional. Oh, come on, man. Okay, no, I actually it was hilarious. Right? I peek behind the veil. Oh no! <laughs> right Fighting before we truth. got on, we had a very good exchange in the group chat with with Bob that I yeah. think he was maybe a little taken aback by. And I was absolutely I was not. I thought it was sometimes very communicate. <laughs> very good. Over time, you become more familiar, and then things happen, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So to start, Kill Your Darlings is coming out September 6th. FOC is August 13th. Um, mm. Kill Your Darlings was described when it was first announced in Image Comics's uh, press release as Narnia mm. meets Hereditary. Can you unpack <laughs> that for me? Because that is mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so when it came time for Ethan and I to write our first book, uh, when, when we sat down and said, okay, I think we can make comic books. Uh, we love comics. We love storytelling. Let's make a comic book. What is it? Ethan had this uh, this idea for a visual, uh, all the spooky crayon drawing stuff that you see in the preview pages. Uh, that is where the sort of idea sparked, and we sort of built it out from there. And naturally, that obviously lent itself to horror. But then we were like, okay, well, we both love horror. That's one of our favorite genres. What else do we love? We love fantasy. Uh, and so the two just sort of naturally met in the middle with that idea. Uh, and we thought, well, that'll be fun to sort of jump back and forth between our two favorite genres that are also so different from one another and so rarely, I feel like, uh, done uh, in tangent with each other. Going from that, like it, uh, the, those initial images of the crayon, the crayon drawings and stuff really lent to that combination because it was like we, we were immediately really drawn to the vibe of, yeah, that kind of like wild childhood imagination uh, and and that like you know, open-eyed curiosity when it clashes with very real fears, like very, like we, we love the idea of, um, yeah, like a warrior princess sort of, you know, situation, like, like playing with stuffed animals and everything, but then all of a sudden brushing up against something that is uh, just sort of unknowable and terrifying. It felt very kind of universal. It felt kind of like growing up, like, and uh, growing up too early. Um, and so, yeah, the the Narnia hereditary thing, you know, we don't always love a this meets that, but if we were going to have one, that's pretty apt because it is, um, it, it we it's kind of like peanut butter and jelly, those two elements where you're flashing between as much fun as you can have and as much uh, as frightened as you can be, because uh, one yeah just enhances the other, one just makes you more worried and excited about the other. Nice. Yeah, we love that sort of existential dread that mm. Ari Aster is just yeah. so good at and being able to get away with minimal visuals or, or extremely striking visuals uh, to sort of communicate a really devastating idea. Hmm. And Bob, Bob draws some devastating visuals <laughs> Yeah, big in the book. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, Bob, do you, with, when you draw these sequences, are you drawing them uh, like linearly or are you drawing like the fantasy stuff separate or are you focusing on one or the other while you're, you're, you're drawing? No, I, 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 the, the way I do it is I get page one and I draw page one and then just go straight through the book. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you ever do you ever get to the end and go, oh, shoot, I was I started drawing the face a little differently. I'm going to go back and tweak that. Um, yeah. Typically, no. Um, and, and that's just like a. So the way the way I approach every page is like I look at it and I go, okay, what what's something I can try to do better every time I pick up the pencil or brush or stylus or whatever it I happen to be using that day. Yeah. So if things end up looking a little different from page to page, I don't get too upset about it um, because ideally I've done something better on this page than I've ever done it before. 
Right. And I just kind of go, all right, well, you know, nice. it looks a little different. But if if anybody picks up the book and looks at page one and then turns all the way to page 80 or whatever <laughs> uh-huh. and goes, hey, wait a second, that face is a little different. I'd be like, I, yeah. I don't know what to tell you, man. Could you tell what it, who it was when you were when you were leafing through? You're fine. Right. <laughs> Bob's, so, Bob's so impressive to me because he like he really is like an artist artist where it's like he is he is always building on what we've given him. And he's like and he's hmm. he's bringing so much to the table, but he's also just like a true workhorse where it's like his Mm. speed and efficiency are wild. Like he churns through the whole thing, but he's never, I don't feel like he's ever cutting corners. He's always like, he's always uh, getting the most out of each moment. And I don't know. How do you, how do you do it, Bob? (laughs) How do you do it? I'm a, I'm I'm a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) I sit here and I don't Mm. move. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure to stand up. Everyone's against, what is it? uh, Sitting is the new smoking. Yep. (laughs) I'm doing six packs a day. Very upsetting. Oh man, I uh, interviewed Steve Pugh a couple years ago now, um, talking about Harley Quinn breaking glass, and he was telling me since I was a graphic novel, he drew you know I think sequentially, but then by the time he got to the end, he started liking how he was drawing Harley's face by the end. So he said he went mm. back and redrew her wow. face, and like I think he had extra time since it was a graphic novel, but. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I was, I've always wondered about that when certain, in certain cases, but in, in this case, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, we haven't talked about the story at all. Um, it's safe to say this is a passion project if I could speak for you, but oh, yeah. when Actually, did yeah. the butt of the story begin? Cause it feels like it could have been quite a, a long time now. Yeah, it, it has been in the works for a long time. Like Griffin said, like the original, like little bitty seed of it uh, was mine. And then, and I immediately brought it to Griffin and then we built it out. It, it, uh, we by the time the book comes out, we'll have been working on it for about three years, uh, which is a long time for something like this. Sure. Uh, and, and and before even before that, it was like there were so many attempts to try to get projects started. Uh, like we tried to get an ash can together to take to conventions, and it just kind of fell apart. Is mm. you know there was a lot of trial and error, but this one this one popped in our heads because we were both. I mean. height of pandemic like obviously everybody was having a tough time we we were both frontline workers during that and Mm. we we would just call each other and exchange stories and just be so bummed out and uh and like to me like most of my ideas come to me when there's like really menial stuff going on when I'm doing something I really don't want to be doing and my mind kind of escapes and whatever and yeah I was doing the frontline job uh during pandemic super anxious and then yeah those images just popped into my head of like of the cave and the um the fantasy creatures um and and the hands coming out and all of that and yeah that it 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 feels like it's like an anxiety driven idea like it feels like oh like you thought of this this fucked up thing because you're because you're in a fucked up situation I, i don't know that it was ever like let's make the darkest thing because we're in the darkest mm. time. Because I think as soon as we started talking about it, it was mm. like, it, it, the, we were never trying to like just hit all of the grossest, nastiest stuff just for the sake of it. Like we all, we always had things that we wanted to kind of say with it. And as, as we continued to kind of ring that out, it was like, oh, this actually means a lot to me in terms of what, yeah, like what I experienced as a kid, um, mm. how like what it means to me to make something for the first time. Uh, and so... Yeah, just those visuals just led to more and more discussions that built the story larger and larger until 
Now it's just kind of out of control and uncontainable. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. High stakes, getting into an epic uh, place is always cool. Yeah, uh, absolutely. At the root of our story here, we have a young girl with an imagination uh, dreaming yeah. up this fantasy land that seems to have some rules and maybe some world building of its own, even though yeah. she is quite young. Um, can you take us through a little bit of what pe- what people are in store for as far as the first issue is concerned? Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, you, you, the main character is Rose, who is um, an eight-year-old girl, and she's like the most imaginative child you could think of, where it's like, yeah, she's created this world, but she goes beyond just like playing in the backyard. It's like every, it's her ritual. Every day she comes home, closes herself in her bedroom. She's playing pretend in this world that she is this protector and warrior princess of this land, uh, and she's got character designs and maps she's created and lore. Nice. Uh, like she's, you know, she's... She goes deep on the on the role play, um, but uh, one you know one day, which you'll see in issue one, she comes home, she closes that door, and she finds that uh, yeah, things are it's it's all gone wrong. Uh, all of her imaginary friends have been uh, horrifically murdered. Oh no! Uh, and she and she finds that there is a uh, there's a monster at the center of her world, and despite that world being imaginary, that monster seems to be very real, um, and so it calls into question. Yeah, how much was real the entire time? Uh, what 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 does this mean for her? Uh, and uh, can she survive it? It's it, the, those lines between fantasy and reality break down nice. almost instantly, and it sends you on a, a pretty like unexpected ride. I think you'll be right along with her in terms of just like what the fuck is going on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the main story also takes place in the mid '90s. Is there any significance to that? Mm. It's a. It was kind of a curious choice on, on our part. I feel like because 1995 predates both Ethan and I, mm-hmm. uh, so it's not necessarily an era that we are, you know, super familiar with. But uh-huh. I do feel like through, you know, through media, through even like just home photos and videos, um, I just feel like I have this sort of. Mm. Uh, vision of the era mm-hmm. in my head, and something about it felt like the the right spot to start our story in. Um, it's a very sprawling story that covers a lot of time, oh, cool. um, and so starting there just felt like there was a sort of warmth to it, and and maybe even a strangeness to it uh because we weren't there for it. I think, right. uh, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it was it, kind we of jump appealing. around. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the story's mapped out over quite a bit of okay. time, uh, and and so you're going to be dropped into some some unexpected places, and so yeah, mapping it out, it was like where we want to begin, where we want to end mm-hmm. up. It made a lot of sense, and also like we are, you know, early two thousands kids, which I feel like you know when you grow up in the early two thousands, well, you're I, I watching get, all I the reruns of the nineties is... shows. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're, I was you're, you're, there's a you there the is a distinction of the nineties. <laughs> you're basically writing yeah. about medieval times. You know, oh, yeah, whereas okay, I, okay yeah. settle down now, you guys. <laughs> well, no, this is a period think... piece, we had to research, <laughs> yeah. yeah, period piece. Um, I think I could speak for I can't, I don't know how old Bob is, he's probably like 22, but uh, mm-hmm. oh, you, you, mm-hmm. you sweet, you sweet child, <laughs> but uh, not to age myself, but it was very really intriguing to me because that was 
I wasn't as young as Rose was in the, during the story, but I was I was a little older. So yeah, yeah. Right. I, I was thinking though, like, oh, what's what's the significance of this? And then I was thinking, Bob, like, do you have to worry at all? Even though this is, I don't want to say period piece because the '90s wasn't very far away <laughs> for me. But do you have, do you ever worry like, oh shoot, I can't draw Prius; they didn't exist or something like that? I mean, uh, as as a as a geriatric millennial at this point. Um, <laughs> I I was there for all of it, right? Like yeah, I, yeah. I remember when Nevermind came out. All right, right, like, right. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, this is uh, uh, the the thing that was fun about this is, is like a lot of this stuff is just sort of like my childhood things. Oh sure. Uh -huh. Um. So uh, I was able to like uh, we we were talking actually last time about how like I've actually grabbed things from my actual life and, oh, and cool. put them into the book. So it's like. Uh, I was telling you guys that uh, Rose's, you know, house is actually my apartment right now. But um, we just found that out. Like we've seen out. Rose's house for many months and have oh, no idea it was just Bob's like, place. It's wild. Funny. I've been, I've been so deep in it that I completely forgot that the that there's a there's a. Uh, we, I, can, I can talk about the video store, right? There's a video oh, yeah, store yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, we yeah. go into later, which is actually the video store that I worked in. When so I was in, when oh, in the nineties, cool. right? So yeah, 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 I don't know. Yeah, it, it's totally. Bob was in the overalls. This book <laughs> yeah, is just about him. The overalls. I had the. It's production. an autobiography. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a it's a historical yeah. comic book. A historical, <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Bob, I freaking love the crayon drawings in this book. Mm. Um, <laughs> Rose's drawing, Let's of course. Go. How do you approach drawing in a little kid's style um, and make it feel genuine? I think if you saw what my initial layout drawings uh -huh. looked like when I put these things down, when I'm just trying to understand how the page <laughs> fits together and the storytelling of it, you'd say, oh, it's not that far off from what he's doing already. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just kind of... Um, you know, you just kind of put yourself in that place of like, you know, what what did I draw things like? I, I you know, I, I was a kid in a, a, you know, who who liked drawing at one point, who wasn't very good at it. So, you know, you just kind of just kind of go back and you know, sort of flatten things out and just you know re re-inhabit that part of yourself that was excited about this at one point before it just became your job. <laughs> <laughs> he, he describes like he describes how simple it was for him. That was like the big thing that confirmed for us that it was like, oh my god, we're rocking and rolling because like we nice. got rolling on the first issue and it was like he's great, of mm -hmm. course, but that was the stuff that we were like, uh, like we were trying a couple of weird things with the book and that was like, okay, well we like it has to look like a kid could have done it, but it also that is like a big part of selling the threat and the spookiness of the book at the same time. It's such an mm -hmm. important tonal thing. And as soon as we started getting that in, it was like, oh, he's got it. He understands exactly what's going on. Uh, he's completely <laughs> on the same page about the book. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely adds like the realism of the real world setting, and then yeah. we go to the fantasy world and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's yeah, absolutely scary things lurking. Uh, did any of you have imaginary friends growing up? Oh yeah. And what was the imaginary friend's name if if you did have one? Uh, Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> no relation. I no to, relation. Uh, yeah, no. I used to. I think I had like copyright safe imaginary friends at some point, but uh, I do, I do, I do literally remember as a kid pretending that Ultimate Spider Man was going to school with me as like my big brother. Oh, cool! Because uh, I was sweet. an only child for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. A little bit of a weird answer, Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, 
I don't remember like a particular character, but I do just remember um, lining up a couple of teddy bears and, you know, they were the compatriots. And so mm. when we see Rose doing that in this book, that feels that feels close to home for me. I, I broke the fourth wall a lot as a kid. Did you guys do that? Like I would do camera takes in the mirror. <laughs> uh, Where you like look in the mirror and you're like, Jesus. Like there was like, an... this shit. Yeah. Dude, uh, I, I, I still do that. Are you Is that because of the office? office? <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. passing by one and it's like some yeah. bullshit's happening. I'll be like... <laughs> Keep believing. Yeah, no, I guess, yeah. Every now and then, with a camera in everyone's pocket, I mean, who knows? Someone might be recording. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> the surveillance state. Bob, did you have any imaginary friends or imaginary nah. worlds cooked up? Uh, imaginary worlds, probably. You know, I was uh, as with all kids, or you know, as with people like me who are professional artists. Now, I was drawing stuff all the time as a kid. And I, I mean, I definitely had like, you know, characters and stuff like that, that I'd cooked up and that would, you know, mm -hmm. before I, uh, really started getting into comics and, uh, you know, uh, more regularly, but, um, I don't, I, I don't know that I, you know, would, uh, interact with them in that way other than like, I had, you know, it's like some kids will use action figures to tell the stories, and then like I would have sort of stories, but like I, I for some reason never put them into comics until much later. I think huh. it's because when I I think I tried it a couple times and realized what an incredibly daunting task it is to actually make these things, and I was kind of sure. like, I don't know, I'll just I'll just keep the characters and kind of remember that they're <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, are we are we in less of an era of playing with toys and like pretending they're alive and acting out stories? Is that less now? Because I feel like that's I mean, a '90s, early 2000s thing mm. for sure. Is like you have the action. Like we we did a really nice interview the other day where where like the guy had read the book and he was like, "This was exactly what I did." It was like in my um, room, like just have like an army of toys. Yeah, and, but yeah, and, yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I I have two younger siblings. Right. Um, so you were to and... tortured, I'm sure. Of course, yes. Uh, and my younger brother's born in 2001, and he's, I mean, he was pretty much right alongside me most yeah. of our lives, and so right. he did it, I know, but my, my little sister is born in 2007, uh, which is sort of just starting to cross over this threshold into, mm -hmm. like, the, the upper echelon of Gen Z and... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, in her early childhood, yes, but uh, even around Rose's age, it was already. Mm. She's got holograms. Yeah. <laughs> She's playing with holograms. Kids have phones in their hands at a young age now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to super. Babies. I don't want to super duper get into it. But in a previous life, I did work for a toy company, so I can I can kind uh -huh. of tell you the trends, and it is a little <laughs> it is a little upsetting. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right. I was an only child, so I was definitely imagining entire like armies of Power Rangers yeah. uh, uh, putties I was awesome. fighting in the woods and stuff like yeah. that. Um, awesome. But uh, I, you know, eventually I, I, I had friends, but I didn't even get a cell phone until I was like fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, same. Yeah. So, but yeah, that is that is until I was in my mid twenties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I actually fought getting a phone. I was like, I don't Me want too. one. I had yeah, a Nokia. Right. I had a Nokia until iPhone three came out, and I was like, "Fine, I'll get wow. a smartphone." And I, I definitely now I'm like, I have the freaking phone on all the time. I'm playing Marvel Snap every fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. It's a good game. Hey, yeah, uh, like it's so Marvel addictive. Snap. It's good. It's so yeah. addictive. It's a problem. But mm -hmm. um, no, that's that's it. That is an interesting question to ask, right? Because since audiences reading these comics are a little older, how many mm -hmm. of them actually lived? Um, and that, that makes sense why you would date it in the 90s then, I guess. Right. There, there's no screens yeah. everywhere. 
yeah. yeah, that was part of the appeal, I think, for us, too, is like, yeah, you have to sort of take it back to a time of playing in your bedroom. <laughs> and yeah, it does. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get on the soapbox and be like, ah, everything's right. fucked. But <laughs> <laughs> there is like, an there's an element of like, this is it. this is set in a like a slightly just quieter time. Yes. Right. Little, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Again, there there's like. And maybe that's, you know, this is sort of just me analyzing our own choices now after the fact. But <laughs> sure. I think maybe the choice of like, oh, God, I wish like there's a warmth there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a warmth in the disconnection from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think part of us wishes we could kind of go back to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit. Storytelling wise, too, like, you know, when movies are set in 2020, mm-hmm. a lot of the problems that characters were facing in night in the movies in the 90s and 80s could have been solved with a cell phone call That's true. right or That's true. whatever and and so yeah dating it back allows you to kind of get away with more stuff um it's wild it, how much stuff said in the modern day you have to have a scene where somebody's texting like it's like it's, it right. has to be yeah. such it's a part of our like, lives because it's what people will do so there's like panels of just screens and it's like yeah, it's yeah. not a bad thing it's just it's just crazy on the opposite Scenes side of people googling right? yeah. Yeah. yeah oh that's so yeah. bob can you make that interesting looking uh, no, I can't. I can't. Can you do a Google Doodle for this page? We need a Google Doodle on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Bob, the day, the day that we send you a panel description that says "close on phone screen," text message comes in. <laughs> that's when you fucking send us back the middle finger emoji. I love, I love the title. Um, and, oh, thank you. And, but then immediately, now that I have you in the room to talk about creative process, I have to ask, did you have to kill any darlings as far oh, yeah. as ideas or visuals while making this? So many. I mean, the title was one of them. Uh, <laughs> the, because, the, yeah, the, 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 this title came about really late in the game because we... Uh, we, we had our own titles. We, that was like one of the hardest things to figure out for it. And and Donny Cates actually gave us a title for it, uh, which was Scorned. Oh, okay. uh, and uh, it, which also fits perfectly. Like that would have been an excellent title based on uh, some of the events uh, that unfold in later issues. Uh, but we when we pitched it to Image, uh, they were like, great, love it. Couple things. One of them is that this is going to come out alongside the Scorched, and so can't can't have Scorched and Scorned. Yeah. Uh, and then we were like, fair enough. And then that took, that was, that was tough. Like, there have been a few moments like that throughout the process. Like, we did some early concept stuff with a different artist uh-huh. um, and, the, and then ended up, you know, switching gears fully. And so, like, that and then having to rethink the title, stuff like that has been really daunting because it's like you especially working on something for that long. It's like, you're trying to visualize what this thing will be so far down the line and trying to, trying to keep it with a sense of identity so Mm -hmm. that you're like working towards something tangible and you keep having to recontextualize it and regenerate it in your head. And, and yeah, kill your darlings like took a while. Uh, But once we got to it, it was like, Oh, thank God. Cause it like, it's not only like a really cool title, but it also mm-hmm. like matches just like the literal levels of the book. Some mm-hmm. of the stuff under the hood, like, yeah. It, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, there've been many times when it was like, okay, we're changing course. We got to switch the other <laughs> way. Let's, yeah. 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 No, writing is rewriting. Exactly. Yeah. We've gone creatively stir crazy on it many yeah. times over the past few years. And, uh, and, and also as we've come towards the end of the book, we've realized that a lot of it is kind of about us making something for the yeah. first time. And there's the sort of meta commentary going on, we've realized. And mm-hmm. so the title, yeah, just continued to be very like like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. Yeah. 
Yeah, when Ethan called me with it, I was like, shut the fuck up. That's taken. <laughs> that's there true. is a comic book called Kill Your Darlings. Right, there's a chance like, someone's already there's done not. That's there not. Yeah. No. There's, there's a volume a, of Suicide Squad Rebirth. There's a volume of Suicide Squad. Uh, there's that Daniel Radcliffe movie. Oh, yeah, sure. No my my mom actually just recently texted me and she says, is there any connection to that movie? And I was like, no. And she's like, uh, okay. yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a comic book <laughs> adaptation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, wa- oh, she wants uh, to meet the actors. <laughs> Right, right, right. Big, big Harry Potter. Right, yeah. There's a lot of like layers to it, but certainly one of them is just like how really, really difficult it is to make something for the first time, and what what that kind of thing can mean to you, and Mm. how you try to keep it alive and keep your own kind of (laughs) spirits alive, and that can all be found in there for sure. Not to mention, I will say conversely, however, um, because I'm getting to pencil ink and color the whole thing, I've had to make. Mm. Almost no, I don't think I've compromised on anything really. Mm. Like any any page that I've put out, I've I've been more happy with than anything I've ever done on any Absolutely. project I've ever done before. So um, I don't know. I I I understand uh, the creative process and what you guys are going through, but on this side, <laughs> all good. Man. Easy piece. True. It's true. It's he's, true. He's, getting to, he's getting to control the whole process. It's so exciting. He's mm. he's yeah, putting out the best work of his career for sure. Correct. I can't imagine mm-hmm. to like. Since since you're a duo, writing duo, yeah, the vision you kind of have to check in on it with each other all the time, uh-huh. right? Like, whereas if you're a solo writer, like you might the title might come to you because you know the like essence of it, right. uh, backwards yeah. and forwards. What is the writing process like for you guys? Do you? Oh do, boy, yeah. <laughs> do you? Yeah. Are you in the same room together writing dialogue at the same time, or do you like break it up? No, um, I mean, Ethan and I have very similar instincts as storytellers. Um, we like a lot of the same types of stories, a lot of the same types of characters and beats. We are on the same page as far as all of the big picture stuff, uh, which is great and has has made it most of the time very easy to craft the overall thing. There, there were a, a, certainly a couple of points where we would go back and forth on a couple of crucial beats, but uh, for the most part, we were right right there with each other on the big stuff but then when it came time when bob got involved it came time to actually be writing scripts mm-hmm. you know we uh we'd both done writing in the past but also had never done it professionally or together or you know for somebody else a season and professional. so yes right. of course and Absolutely. so learning to write comics was one thing and then learning to write comics together was a mm. completely different thing and uh, the first issue was in mm. both of our minds for so long that sure. we did the first issue just fine but then uh-huh. getting past it and into issues two and three yeah, yeah. we just realized that like our process at that time was kind of like someone would put together a draft and it would be like putting a coat of paint on a wall and then someone else would come in and do another coat of paint just on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, be- again, because we are just completely different writers. Yeah. And yeah. so it would kind of feel like both of us were losing things by the time we got to mm-hmm. a finished draft. And we we got to the point where issue two was sort of done like that, but we sort of agonized over it for so long that it's still, we're still really happy with it. And then issue three, we were both kind of miserable. Uh, with <laughs> it was the, like the pulling process. teeth. Like I called it going down into the mines. Like it was incredibly, yeah. it, it was like painful. Like, like we kept getting on and we were just like, this doesn't work, man. What mm, are we yeah, doing? Something, like, something was not 
working. And but it it's hard because it's point... like, what do you do? Like we've heard about like Colin and Jackson, you know, literally splitting mm-hmm. a script in half and they right. do and, and, and they like just hand off the baton. But like, I think immediately we're both like, absolutely not. Yeah, we we literally but, like, didn't even didn't even try that method because no. uh, yeah, something yeah. about it was like, that's probably not going to work for Divide us. Divide and conquer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Instead, what ended up happening was it just came down to an honest conversation Ethan and I had to have with each other, which is, what do we think our own strengths are? What do hmm. we think each other's strengths are in terms of writing? And that's it. But once we had that, we were like, oh, it kind of lines up perfectly where mm-hmm. I'm just so much more like a, a visual thinker. And so I like putting together all of the images and trying to figure out the pacing of it and hmm. You know, what is the important imagery of the issue and making sure that it works on a completely visual level. Mm -hmm. And Ethan loves doing all the character stuff and the dialogue. And so the the easiest way to put it is I like writing for Bob and Ethan likes writing for the reader. I hate um, writing for Bob. <laughs> he does. He's like, I oh, hate yeah, being written for. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah I, no, we, we we had to learn to give each other the space to do the things that we like to do the most and that we right. feel yeah are our strongest points. And once we did that, it just clicked. It was just it's so mm-hmm. smooth now. We're like it's we're having nice. a blast. That's awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you don't see a lot of continuous uh, writing duos in comics. Right. Jackson and Colin, mm-hmm. of course, have been doing it for so long together that I don't know if they'd ever break up. Whereas, like, yeah. Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler were together for a while, but they've mm-hmm. sort of split mm-hmm. up and done their own thing. But, yeah, it's It's scary. We got a lot of warnings about that of, like, you oh, guys really? are going into this, like, be careful. Like, make <laughs> sure that you protect yourselves because, right. like, there are a lot of, like, vicious falling outs. And mm. and if it definitely felt like we could have got there. Just, like, not like we never hated each other because of the process, but just in terms of, like, mm-hmm. it felt like we could at some point be like, this is not fun. Why are we doing right. it like this? Like, yeah. why, why would we do this when we could just do it on our own? But thankfully, I think we've finally gotten to the point that we wanted to be at where it's, like, no, I would rather write something with you than by myself because right. we mm-hmm. uh, because we just all of our ideas pop together and mm-hmm. we have the most fun that way. Yeah, yeah, we've got over. Yeah, we're, we're coming up on or have passed. I don't know. We're, we're like we've got a decade of friendship behind us, and so yeah. it was never a question of like, oh no, we're going to fucking stab each other over <laughs> this or something. Right. It was right. just kind of it, you know there was a point where it was getting bleak where. For a while, we were really envisioning careers together. And then for a moment, it was in question, I think. And (laughs) then as soon as we flipped the switch, it was like, oh, no, there it is. And you asked if we were in the same room working on anything. We, I mean, we've been best friends for like 10 years, but we have only met in person like five or six times. We do everything remotely. Like we are on the phone every single day. Uh, from yeah. different states, and this book has completely come together remotely. So we we're excited are... to be able to do New York Comic Con and stuff together because then we can actually yeah. like yeah, right. feel the book's energy in the same connect room in a real fun. way too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it kind of yeah. is wild. We we broke some of the well, one of the many versions of the third yeah. act of this book at New York last year in, in the hotel room. And it was like this, like just fucking crazy energy of like we're both pacing yeah. around the hotel room. Like, Fuck yeah, get the whiteboard, get the yeah, whiteboard. Yeah, yeah, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna have a booth uh, in Artist Alley this year in New York, though, so people, yeah. people should come see us. Yeah. So. Do you have a? Do you know the number? Not yet. No, not yet. Okay. Not, unfortunately. Nice. We'll share that on our socials as soon as possible. And klcpress.com. Yeah, speaking yeah. of, um, this is printed under KLC Press's label. Um, yes. Can you talk a little bit about the label and how you're connected with it? I think you did a little bit at the beginning of the show, but 
I'm mm-hmm. curious, like, under the label, are you working with Don? I mean, you mentioned that you were, Donnie yeah. was talking about the title, but then, like, Ryan Stegman, of course, yeah. is also one yeah, of the Yeah, we, we had known Ryan for several years uh, before KLC Press just doing his podcast, because, like, we had done a, a ton of podcasts together as teenagers, and uh, Griffin's show that I had, I joined when we became friends, they interviewed Ryan at a convention, um, and so that was like their first encounter. And just years later, it's such a freak thing where just Ryan was just like, you still make podcasts? Just like <laughs> sliding into Griffin's email inbox. Nice. And and then he was like, do you want to make me one? And and then and we were like, I mean, ob- obviously, yes. Uh, and so we got to do a show with him where he would bring creatives, Stegman and his amazing friends. Like every every episode, he would like try to bring on one of his incredibly talented creator friends. And that like and, and Donnie quickly became like the co-host of that show. Like he was on almost every time. Yeah. And that very naturally led to the KLC Press thing because we did that for a while and it had traction. People really liked it. And then one day, yeah, Donnie and Ryan were like, okay, boys, everything's about to change. Uh we <laughs> yeah. we we have made this deal. It's pretty crazy. It allows us to build essentially an imprint, and you guys can kind of turn what you're already doing into a job. Um, and so it was cool. It was our first kind of step into the comics industry where it was like, oh, we're working on promoting books and like, and releasing process stuff and like seeing how it all comes together with, yeah, Donnie and Ryan and John J. Hill, letter and designer also for Kill Your Darlings and, um, and, uh, other books, uh, have circled through, uh, cycled through KLC Press. Like we're also putting out The Schlub this year, which is written by Ryan and Kenny Porter and drawn by Tyrell Cannon with colors by Mike Spicer. And so like Who working all on this podcast two weeks ago. That's right. <laughs> yes. And, and, yes. and working with all those people and like, and um, promoting all their stuff coming together. It was like, it was cool because yeah, we were working in the comics industry for the first time, but it was also this incredible crash course for what mm. it's like to make comics and, um, and continuing to meet all these creators and having them, advise us um and yeah donnie was wonderful enough to like yeah give us the our earliest feedback um and give Mm -hmm. us some pointers Um, so like when you came on to do the podcast how early were you like hey i want to make comics too (laughs) that was pretty instant yeah Yeah, Yeah. it was was, yeah yeah yeah, nice there 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 was a definitive moment where we started doing the show in june 2019 which which was you know kind of um the real come up of the Venom run that they were doing. Yeah, right. Uh, Absolute Carnage was about to drop. And then uh, Stegman had a signing in Detroit for Epscarn number one. And uh, so at that point, we've been working on the show for just a few weeks. And he had kind of, you know, brought up us being paid or something. He was like, do I pay you for this? Like, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And we were kind of figuring it out as we go. And of course, you know, we were eager. So we were just like, no, 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 no. Don't like worry about that right now. We'll talk about it at nice. some point. And then, but in the background, Ethan and I were like, okay, so, okay. So we don't ask for money. Instead, we ask <laughs> for them to help us make a comic book. And, right, we, and right. Ethan's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. nice. And so there was a very definitive moment where we got back from this absolute carnage signing. And I was like working myself up the whole time mm. uh, to like tell Stegman. I was like, hey. All right, so uh, you don't have to pay us any money, but you got to help us make a comic book. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I just figured that was going to be part of it already. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. No surprise at all. It's cool. funny. Yeah. No, yeah, and he's so, yeah. Now, now Ryan is doing variant covers for every single issue, and they're yeah, yeah they're all yeah, very cool, yeah. surreal. 
Nice. Um, they, they've all been wonderful. And yeah, that's expanded into, yeah, helping Brian with his classes on Jinx World and releasing his Fortune and Glory, the musical graphic novel and Matt Rosenberg's podcast where we've met just infinitely more like amazing creators and they've all had lovely advice for us. It's been really cool. Yeah. It's it's like it, just jumping into the deep end of the pool of the industry yeah. and, and everybody's been so wonderful. It's great. That's yeah, great. we are at the end of the day, just extremely uh, fortunate. Uh, extremely for in the to be in the presence of so many excellent creators and to have so many of them be so kind and open to share especially advice. bob quinn here oh bob's uh, here. honestly like yeah like because it's just a path of luck we've been we've been so lucky and, and grateful and bob is the biggest example of that because yeah like getting to work with somebody so experienced and so professional and uh and so talented like he's just brought all the stuff that like we just had all these ideas that we hoped they would work. Bob has brought them to life beyond what we could imagine, and and it's and it's the best experience anybody could have had on a first book. Yeah, we're so we're very very <laughs> not great. to put you on the spot, Bob, but what was it like working with two newer creators? Yeah. Um. So it, it, it's really interesting because like I didn't have a ton of misgivings at any point because when like the uh the usually the joke is like well how'd you guys get involved in this and it's like they emailed me because that's literally what happened right like an email <laughs> comes in my inbox from like this this name i've never heard before yeah. and there's this pitch attached to it and i read it and i was because like i get these every now and then and then like sometimes i'll you know kind of entertain it a little bit nine times out of ten i'm all like this is just not for me right right and it's like i've been i've been working on x-men and all this stuff and it was like I'd been thinking about wanting to do something, you know, a bit more, I guess, personal, but I just kind of wasn't really sure what I wanted to work on, right? So all of a sudden this pitch comes in and I'm like, oh, shit, this is like the kind of thing that I might make if I was making something for myself. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we just kind of started talking and it became pretty clear that, like, we connected on a lot of stuff and... Like, I read a little bit of it, and I was like, I just kind of had questions about where some of the stuff was going. And almost, I, I want I want to say 100% of the times I would have some question or some suggestion, they'd be like, yeah, we've already thought about that, and it's going here. And I was like, well, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly where it should go. Nice. And so, like, every time, every time I had a question, and it became easier and easier to essentially just trust that these guys, you know, even though this is their first foray into writing comics or, or at all, let alone writing comics together, I was like, no, they have a really great sense of story and character and where all this stuff is going. And then and then the script started coming in. And I was like, yeah, this is great. Like, at, at, at no point was I like, all right, guys, look. <laughs> we need to talk about what Bob never had to right, sit us right. down. I never had to, but like, I, I, there was like one point where they were like, hey, we need we need to do this thing. We need to like, well, what if we just did this one thing? And they were like, oh, yeah, that works. And then, you know, like, (laughs) but like, that's literally been it. Like every time a script comes in, I'll read it and I'll go, yeah, this is great. I, I can't wait to draw this. This it, it's, nice. it's been it's been it's absolutely awesome. it's fate. It's been so easy. Yeah, it does feel like that way. Yeah, yeah, it's really crazy. So, so you guys yeah, didn't have there's... to pull the Ryan Stegman card and be like, Ryan said that you should. Ryan said, it's, really Ryan said it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, no, no. My, my mom no. liked it, so right. Yeah, no, no. That's uh, really cool. Yeah, it's such a unique I think story. Brian was the last person to read the book. He finally, he finally, oh, really? <laughs> he finally <laughs> yeah. read it for his doing his variant covers. Yeah. Not to get into yeah. like the business side too much, but like just mm. with KLC is you know being mm. under the label. Yeah. Are, is there like, are they funding the project in some way mm. or? I don't know. You, you don't have to uh, answer me to one. I was just curious. 
No, I mean it's KLC is these the way these Substack things work. They like they have different organizations to them that like because each creator runs them exactly how they want to run them, and KLC is a a pretty loose uh, container of things. It doesn't you know it it doesn't have some like a, too much of a structure to it. It's just the people making stuff on there, and we're yeah. very much the backbone of it, and so um it's 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 a community and it's like a space for streams and posts and all of that stuff but there's not there's not any infrastructure in terms of production or anything and and of course like that's the same with image where image you know people right. are giving their books to image and image is right. publishing them mm-hmm. and so no it's like this book is <laughs> it's all us just putting everything we have into it uh any money or time or any effort or anything that has to go into it is all just coming out of our pockets mm-hmm. uh and our hearts and uh and and yeah the klc is just the place where we can share all of it you know yeah klc is funding it in so far as kale's the the money we make from klc press is what feeds ethan and i and helps us pay rent right right. Right. Um, so if if you you support klc you are making those books happen yeah just by keeping us alive absolutely (laughs) Yeah. yeah if listeners don't know image the way it usually works is like the writer a lot of times the writer will pay the artist and then they yep. don't get any profits until Image makes their money back. And then they yes. pretty much make all the profits from there. It's crazy. And then they and we've heard themselves. it called the best deal in entertainment because yeah. it's like, because Image is like so hands off. They're just like, right. if we like your thing, we will put it out there. But mm-hmm. that, but, but creating it, giving it to us, all it's all you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's awesome. It's very daunting. Uh, and yeah, it's terrifying. a risk, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's, huge stage. It's not like yeah. they're they're bringing you on to write Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you have to exactly. out of pocket, right? <laughs> Keep the no. thing going. You're a raw nerd. You're showing you're showing right. the world exactly what you've got, and we're taking all of our biggest possible swings. That's mm-hmm. all the advice we've gotten. Ooh. Show up. Make sure that uh, right. you know you you don't not get invited back. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Getting offered to the party. Uh, yeah, and maybe you have a saga on your hands where you'll be selling mm-hmm. a lot of books and. Don't uh, even put that in my head. No, I think you guys have a, a, a surefire hit on your hands. It definitely feels like it belongs under the Image Comics label, too. And I don't know if you yeah. were thinking about that when you were making it, but like, it just feels like a book that I think Image Comics fans would want to read. Mm. Um, right. Not just Image Comics that. fans, too, though, obviously. But, yeah. No, I mean, we we wanted it to be an image book the whole time. I mean, that that was where that advice came from. It was like us uh, us talking to Donnie and like him hel- like helping us figure out how to pitch something. Mm-hmm. And and he was like, "You guys probably want to take this to Image, right?" And we're like, "I mean, of course we do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it's the perfect place for it. It allows us to do exactly what we want." Um, and you know, we 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 had to go through the full process of getting the pitch doc together, which took a year, and and then finally bringing it to them. Um, and yeah, I think I, I'm, I could not be happier that it got to end up there. Cause I think it's, it, it truly is kind of the uncompromising version, uh, especially when it comes to what Bob's doing. Um, so yeah, thank God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, part of that in that same conversation, Donnie was like, all right, well, if you want it to be at image, um, it is, you know, somewhat, somewhat easy to, to get in there. You know, it's easier to get into image uh than to get invited back it's it's really easy to not get invited back so if you're going to be at image for your first ever book you gotta show up and uh so those words have pretty much hovered over the entire Mm -hmm. process and every time we sit down to do a script 
it's just like okay okay so we're showing up again here we go what's <laughs> yeah. the crazy we talk, we talk about that a lot we yeah, if, we ever, if we ever have an idea that makes our stomachs lurch a little bit it's like that's that might be the one because that's nice. the one that got a yeah. reaction out of us we got to right. drive towards the things we think will not bore people got to take our right. biggest swings well, I'm really excited for you guys. This this series launch is going to be, I think, a hit. Uh, Kill Your Darlings number one Thanks, comes man. out September sixth. So if you're a comics retailer, or if you want to put in an order, you have until August thirteenth. Uh, thank you so much for being on the APT Comics podcast. Thanks so thank much you. for having us. Yeah, this is awesome. Absolutely. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> <laughs>